When I was about 20, 21 years old, I was driving home from a long night out, and I was really mad about something. I was getting more and more mad by the second, and so eventually what I started to do was respond to my anger, and I began punching my steering wheel over and over and over again, harder and harder and harder. And when I stopped, my hand certainly hurt, but I also heard a noise, and I was like, what is that noise? And then I realized that I had punched my, my steering wheel so hard so many times that I actually made the horn stay stuck on. So I'm, di- I'm driving down Jericho Turnpike in Huntington, and my horn is just, and I'm just driving down Jericho, and I'm looking around, and people are looking at me. Why is this guy honking at me? It's like one in the morning, you know? They're, they're waving at me with that one certain finger, and uh, it was very, very kind. And so I'm driving home, and I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do? Like, I'm going to have to drive to my little, you know, residential development and pull in the driveway, and my horn's going to be going off at one in the morning. How is this going to work? And so I'm thinking about what I'm going to do. I start to push on the outsides, you know, like I had broken the middle of the horn and got it stuck. I start to push on the outsides to try to unstuck it, if that's a word. Probably not. You can hurt me later if you want. Thank you. Um, never call out again. I'm just kidding. Um, and so I'm pushing real hard on the outside, and eventually I got, I got it so that if I held it, I had to hold it, it would stay that the horn wasn't going off. So I drive into my residential neighborhood at one o'clock in the morning. I pull in my driveway, and I'm like, guess this is my night, me and my car, me and my horn here, you know, because I couldn't leave the car. I had to hold this thing from, from going off. And so eventually I'm like, all right, I'm going to really, really try to push this thing as hard as I can, get it unstuck, whatever you said, and then I'm going to be okay and keep going. And so I pushed real hard and it worked. It stopped. I was like, this is incredible. I went inside. I was so relieved. I was so happy. I could sleep tonight, right? And so I get upstairs, brushing my teeth, getting ready for bed. I lay down in my bed. Hang, starts going off. 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning now, right? I go running down the stairs. I jump in the car, and I'm sitting there in my PJs, 1.30 in the morning, middle of October, freezing myself, thinking I might die here, right? <laughs> Suddenly, thankfully, I look up, and I see a six foot eight silhouette coming out the door. It was my dad. He's got his bathrobe on. He's got his eyes half open. Walks down. He, all he said to me, he didn't ask me what happened, didn't ask me why this was going off, just said, can you please pop the trunk? I know that would be stupid. Can you please pop the hood? There you go. The trunk wouldn't have done much. So uh, he's like, yeah, I got some luggage back there. Uh, no, so I pop the, the, uh, the hood. He goes over there. And next thing you know, he just probably disconnected the battery or something like that. Horn goes off. Day is saved. Slams the, the hood shut. Goes back to bed. Uh, the next morning, I find out that he walks into my, my, mom, my parents' room. And my mom says, uh, what happened? Did somebody play a practical joke on Doug? Because my friends and I were always doing stupid stuff to each other. And she, he says back, he says, no, people don't have to play jokes on Doug. He plays them on himself. <laughs> and she was, he was so right, okay? So what happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. There was an ordinary problem. It's called anger. And I went for an ordinary result. It's called my fist. <laughs> and I got an ordinary answer, didn't I? Because I broke something, right? You've all been there. Anger fist broken, right? And what we've been saying in this series is that when we respond to ordinary problems in ordinary ways, we will get ordinary results. That if we want more than ordinary results, we have to look to something extraordinary. We have to have an extraordinary answer that's going to catapult us to an extraordinary result. And the place that we have found that we can find those answers is in God's word. In week one, we said this, and this is the foundation for this whole series. I would love it for me for it to be the foundation of our lives. But what we found out was that for ordinary life, God's word has extraordinary answers. 
that when we start to struggle with things like pride or doubt or anger or lust, or like we talked about last week, jealousy, and we open up God's word, we will find extraordinary answers that will get us extraordinary results, that will actually find ourselves finding freedom. We'll find ourselves getting to the place where, man, that's not owning me anymore. Well, why? Because God knows what he's talking about. If you're not a follower of Jesus, man, how powerful would it be to begin to apply God's word to your life, see it work, and then maybe go, man, maybe God's really there. If this stuff works, if, if I've tried everything else, if I've tried all the ordinary ways and I keep you know, staying stuck and suddenly I plug what God says into my life and now I'm free, then man, maybe there is a God. For us Christians, man, how powerful is it? I would love for us, our first response to be, wow, I got a problem in my life? Well, does God's word speak to this? Does God's word say anything about this? Because if so, I'm gonna apply it. And man, how powerful it could be to see that change us. And so we have been talking about looking beyond ourselves, looking beyond the ordinary, looking to God as the extraordinary and what his word has to say. Now tonight, we're gonna talk about another ordinary life kind of problem. And that problem is anger and unforgiveness. That's something that we all struggle with, isn't it? It's something that sometimes we struggle with multiple times a day. Sometimes it's when we're driving, Sometimes it's when we've spent time with a certain friend group. I mean, I could tell you right now, the people that when I spend time with them, I leave angry. I leave feeling stupid. I leave feeling like I was put down the whole time or I just wasn't valued or no one listened or cared. I can tell you certainly the, the people I can drive around sometimes who will, you know, push me over the edge and, and you know, sometimes backseat drivers on my own car, I push them out and, you know, that's terrible. Um, but I, I can tell you that you know and I know the people that kind of push our buttons or we at least know what our buttons are. Like, if they do this, if they do that, I'm going to end up angry. And you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. That's an old joke. You have to be real old. That's a Hulk joke. That's a, an old reference, and that's all right. But I'll tell you what, guys. What if, what if we're not supposed to stay stuck there? What if the price tag is too high? You see, that's what I think. I think staying stuck in anger and unforgiveness comes with a very, very high price tag. I don't know about you. I don't want to pay that price anymore. I don't want to stay stuck there anymore. The truth is, guys, and and we're not going to like this tonight, but man, as Christians, this topic that we're talking about tonight, anger and unforgiveness, I would say it's number one on the list of things that Christians know a lot about, but don't apply what they know. Like a lot of us in the room tonight be like, that's right. You'd be listening. You'd be nodding. I may hear a couple amens tonight, right? Imagine that. But man, people just excited. Like, that's so right. I so agree with what he's saying, but you know what? We're so bad, aren't we? And then doing something about it. You know why? Because so often we're thinking, that's right, man. What he's saying is so true about anger and unforgiveness. And only if so-and-so were here and they could hear this message, it would set them free. It'd be so powerful. Or I hope so-and-so was listening tonight because, man, well, how about us? All right? I'm so tired of people knowing about the Bible and not actually doing much with it. Aren't you? And so what if we could find freedom tonight? Because the price tag is too high. Well, what's the price tag? A couple things. One thing is when you are angry and you hold unforgiveness in your heart, you become a slave. I know we all think the other person becomes the slave, but you become the slave, and so do I, don't we? This theologian who's just brilliant when he talks about unforgiveness, I'm going to quote him a couple times tonight. Louis Smedes, he says, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Right? We all think the prisoner was the person. But let me ask you a question. Who's having all those imaginary fights in their head? You or them? You. Who's miserable? Who's thinking about payback? Who's trying to figure out, you know, all night long sometimes, how we can get the upper hand, how we can retaliate the right way? You or them? You? 
And so, man, to, to forgive is to set a prisoner free, and that is you, and that is me. And so I don't want to stay stuck. Christians, let me talk to you for a second, okay? Christians in the room, and I'm going to talk to you if you're not a Christian, but, but Christians in the room, here's why this is so, so, so important. Because we don't have time to mess around with anger and unforgiveness. You see, here's what I think. I think, and you know this, God has put you here for a purpose. God has put us here for a purpose, as a church even. And you know what? We just don't have time with what he wants us to accomplish to stay prisoners to, forget, to unforgiveness and anger. You know? Like maybe if there was no heaven and no hell, maybe if there was no eternity, maybe if there was no you know, Jesus and Savior that people needed to hear about and know, then we can mess around with it. We can spend some time worrying about that. But I'll tell you, we have too much to do. We have too much to accomplish as the church. And I've seen, and I've only been a pastor, you know, I'm not that old yet. Or I know I seem old to some of you guys, but I'm not that old yet. And I've already seen the damage that anger and unforgiveness can do inside a church. You know, I've been a leader at this church when things were great and everybody's all tight and everybody's singing kumbaya and everything's wonderful. And then I've also been here when everyone is at each other's throat. And I can tell you something. When everybody's at each other's throat, we don't get much done. Like when we're unified, watch out. But so often we're not, right? We let offense get in there. We let anger and unforgiveness get in there. And when that happens, we get distracted from everything that matters around us, right? Instead of our staff focusing on preaching and leading and training and discipling and mentoring and all that kind of stuff that we love to do, vision, where we're headed, man, it's like, all right, let's get these people together, see if we can get them reconciled, then we gotta get them with that group, and then we gotta get this group together, and then we gotta make sure that they're not offended because they were offended, and make sure they weren't offended at the meeting about being offended, and it just goes on and on and on. And I'm not saying that should never happen. Sometimes we need that. But man, if we would just learn how to live free of the anger and the offense, if we could deal with it for ourselves in our own heart, we would be able to accomplish so much more that God wants us to accomplish. So we just don't have time. You don't want to be a prisoner, but we just don't have time to mess around with this. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you know what I think about you? I think you don't want to be stuck in unforgiveness either. And you don't have to be a Christian to know what's true. And what's true is, is that when you hold on to anger and unforgiveness, you are the prisoner. And it only gets worse, doesn't it? It only intensifies. It only gets harder. So like I said earlier, what if God has an answer for you? Maybe you're not looking for him. But what if his way could work? What if you could look to his word and what we're going to look at tonight and see the power of becoming free from your anger and unforgiveness? I think that's worth looking into. And so tonight we're going to look at some verses in a book called Ephesians. And that's where we're going to find the extraordinary answer. This guy, Paul, had an amazing encounter with Jesus and it changed his whole life. It became a completely different person, and he started to go around the world and plant churches. What that means is he would start a church. He'd get some people together, tell them about Jesus, they'd get saved, and then they'd start this little church. And then he would travel to the next place. He'd go, you guys do church here, I'm gonna go and start some more. And then he'd write letters to those churches to encourage them and to challenge them, and sometimes to call them out on some stuff, right? And so he wrote this little, little letter that we call the book of Ephesians, just a letter, that he wrote to his friends in this church called Ephesus. And you know what? They had some ordinary life kind of problems just like you and I have. And one of those problems was anger and unforgiveness. And so we get to see what he talks about here. Now, we're going to start out kind of broad. He starts out just speaking broadly to us as people who have a relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's available to you tonight. And maybe you'll want to look more into that as we see 
God's way here and God's answer, all right? So Ephesians chapter four, verse 22 says this. Paul's saying to his friends there, he knows they're going through some stuff and they're struggling. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Now what's he saying? That's kind of, to be honest, that's kind of like a whole mouthful, isn't it, right? But you know what he's basically saying? He's saying, don't use the ordinary route. Don't go the ordinary life way where you get angry and you punch something, Right? He's going, look, that's the old you. That's how you used to do stuff. And look, it was just your corrupt nature, which is deceitful. So I'm driving home at 1.30 in the morning, and all of a sudden my anger rages up in me, and I punch something, and the deceitful thought is, this is going to make things better. That's the deceit of it, isn't it? That's the deceit of your anger. That's the deceit of your unforgiveness. And Paul's going, look, you were taught, I told you. I mean, he must have spoken with them in person about this and said, look, don't stay there. Don't do things the ordinary way. Don't do things the way the, the flesh just kind of does and reacts. But instead, look, it says, you were taught to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So what's he saying? He's saying, look, instead of doing things the ordinary way, do things the extraordinary way. Do things the way God designed you to do things now that you have a relationship with Jesus. So, man, you have the Holy Spirit in you now. Like, God wants to do some amazing things in your life, so you don't have to respond the way you ordinarily would toward anger. You don't have to respond the way you ordinarily would toward unforgiveness. And so, man, respond differently. But, but what does that look like? Well, let's get real specific now. Skip a few verses to verse 26. It says this, In your anger... Do not sin. That's interesting. You know why that's interesting? Because he's saying something powerful to us here. You know what he's saying? Anger isn't always sin. Right? He doesn't say, never be angry because it's always sin. He says, in your anger, do not sin. So in other words, there are times it's right to be angry. There are times it's inappropriate to be angry. We should be angry at one thing, sin. So you know what? Things like the sex trade should get us angry. That's appropriate anger. When we're wronged, there's an appropriate level of anger up front. When we look around at the world and we see things going on in other places and even our own country, when, when bombs go off, that should get us angry. There's brokenness. We can get angry at that. But, but what he says is, but don't let the anger carry you to respond in sin. You can get angry at sin, but don't sin when you get angry at sin. So how do you do that? What does that look like? Well, he gives us a great way to keep our anger under control. He gives us a great way to figure out how to not arrive at sin in this next part of the verse. And before I read the verse, please, you, many of you know this verse. You know this principle. If I could look every one of you guys in the eyes, but do you live it? I would say if I had to take a guess, 95% of, us, percent of us in this room don't live this verse out. So in your anger, don't sin. How? How do I keep my anger under control? How do I not explode? How does it not own me? Look at the next part. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. I know that seems weird. It doesn't seem so much like a how, but more like a when. You know, like, Doug, you're not telling me how to overcome anger. You're telling me when to overcome it. You're saying do it today, right, before the sun goes down. When Paul's talking to his Jewish audience, what they understood was that when sunset hit, it was the new day. It was a little different than our culture, right? So sunset hits, it's a new day. Paul's going, look, deal with your anger today. 
Don't let it take you to tomorrow. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say, don't let it take you tomorrow? Well, just think about your own life. What happens when you let it go till tomorrow? Right? You have a horrible night's sleep. Wake up the next day, you're more mad because not only did those people do that, but they ruined your sleep the last night, right? And so now you're annoyed at them, you're frustrated, and then the anger goes a little bit deeper. And then you talk about it with a friend, and of course your friend gives, gives you great advice, tell you you should forgive. No, of course not. They get all angry with you, right? And now it's gossip, and then we're starting to talk retaliation. Retaliation doesn't mean necessarily take out a hit on them, but you maybe start to, you know, ignore. You start to spread a little bit of gossip behind their back. You start to you know, not invite, not include, or deny invitations for you, and suddenly there's a little bit of escalation, and so things get ugly pretty quickly, right? But imagine, what, what, if, what if we applied this? What if, while it's today, you dealt with your anger in your heart, and I dealt with my anger in my heart? What if today, whenever it's today, we said, I'm not going to let this own me, I'm not going to let this ruin me, I'm not going to let this run through my heart, anymore. Most of us get angry, go to bed, wake up, and repeat, right? Why is that a bad idea? Look at the next part of the verse. Do not give the devil a foothold. You see, that's why this is such a big deal. The reason this is such a big deal is because when you let the anger stay in your heart, you are giving the devil a foothold. Now, some of you are like, what does that mean? Thank you, Doug. That's impressive. What is a foothold? Like, what does it mean to give the devil a foothold? Is it like a foot rub? Because I don't really want to give the devil a foot rub. You know, like, what, what are we talking about here? It's an awkward image, isn't it, right? What he's saying here. See, now you all got the image. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Good, good. I saw the heads go down in shame. Oh, I'm thinking about it, right? All right. What is a foothold? A foothold, look on the screens, it's a place where a person's foot can be lodged to support them securely. Listen to the second half of this. It's a secure position from which further progress may be made. You know what happens when you and I leave anger and unforgiveness in our heart? We give the enemy, we give Satan a little secure location in our heart. We say, you know what, why don't you make some more progress on me? I got anger. I got unforgiveness in my heart. Why don't, you, why don't you add some gossip to that? Why don't you add some jealousy? Why don't you enrage this? Why don't you escalate this? We give them a firm spot to stand and take further ground in our heart. That's why it's so dangerous to not deal with our anger when it's today. That's why it's so dangerous to go to bed because when we wake up, it's not just that we're still angry. We've given the enemy the opportunity to add to what was already there. We've given him that foothold. Every night before bedtime, my three kids, we say, all right, go to the bathroom, brush your teeth, right? It goes, Cade, Bryn, Lynn. It's because Cade's the most compliant, Bryn is the next most compliant, and Lennon, you have to chase around the house or the block, and you get him inside, you know? So when we get him off Nichols Road, finally, uh, bring him in, you know? He goes in there, uses the bathroom by himself, and then I have to go in, and I shut the lid on the toilet, sit down, and then he, I go, come on, bud, jump up. He jumps up on my legs. He's standing now on my legs, leaning over the sink, brushing his teeth, drooling on my knees, you know, thank you for that, you know, washing his hands, doing the whole thing there. And you know what, guys? When you and I, when you and I leave anger and unforgiveness in our heart, it's like we're going, okay, Satan, come on, bud, come on, jump up. Come on, I'm going to give you a firm footing here. I'm going to give you a place where you can make further progress. I'm going to give you an opportunity to take this to the next level. I want to say something that you need to hear, and it's not going to apply to everyone in the room, but I think it'll apply to most of us in the room. Some of you, 
the reason that you are so angry today, and please, ready? I'm going to say this a few times because I think you need to hear it. Some of you, the reason you're so angry today isn't so much because of what was originally done to you, but because of how long you let the offense grow in your heart. Some of you are so angry today, not because of the original offense, but because you've left the offense in your heart and it's grown and Satan has had chance to make progress in your life. And so it grows and it escalates and it becomes more. If you're honest, some of you can't even remember what initially happened in that relationship, can you? But you can sure say how mad you are today, can't you? I mean, if I think about my relationship with my wife, my wife and I have had, I think, one to two fights in our, I'm just kidding, in our 13 years. We, we, we've had some fights, you know what? And in, in, in 99.9% of those, I couldn't tell you what any of them were about because they're stupid. They're just dumb. She's going to learn one day. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, they're, they're just, they're just she, she, she's not here tonight. Um, please don't tell her. I like my bed. Um, she, uh, you know, one day, one day, right? Something happens, and, and then, and then you, it escalates. You get angry and angry, right? I get angry, she gets it. And you know what? By the end of the thing, sometimes you're like, what? How did this start? I'm not quite sure how this started. All I know is I'm angry. And you know what? Some of us are broken today, not because of the initial offense, but because we've let it stay so long and grow so much. Now, some of us had something terrible happen to us. I don't want to minimalize what you've been through. But some of you even who have been through something super traumatic that really broke you, you still are struggling in a way that's intensified and magnified today because you've let it stay in your heart so long. See, that's the principle Paul's trying to drive home here. If we dealt with it today, it doesn't have a chance to grow. It doesn't have a chance to make us more bitter and more angry and escalate. A few years ago, Kelly said to me, hey, Doug, would you load the dishwasher and just you know, let it run? We've we got to go out and I had to meet her somewhere or something like that. And so I said, I'm an intelligent human being. I can do this. And so I loaded the dishwasher and left, you know, hit the, hit the button, run and left, right? Well, apparently there is a difference between dishwashing detergent and dishwashing soap. Apparently, this is what I'm told now, okay? Dishwashing detergent doesn't get bubbly, doesn't get all sudsy. It does its thing in the dishwasher. Now, soap, on the other hand, that's the stuff you put you know, on the plates when you got to wash them in the sink, and you guys know what happens. It gets super sudsy. It gets all crazy, right? And so I did my thing, and, and apparently I put the soap in. And so I came home with my wife, and we walked through the door, and our kitchen looked like it had snowed in there, you know? I'm like down there doing snow angels, you know? But what happened was, just think, I could I could have changed this. I could I could if I could go back. Here's what I would have done. I, I, I would have you know put that stuff in there and I would have hit run and then I would have on the way down. I mean I did this. I did this motion. I took the bottle and I put it away. And if I could go back when I did this, I would have seen on the bottom it would have said soap, right? Liquid soap. And I would have stopped the cycle, and I would have had minimal cleanup and maybe none. The reason it made such a mess is because I let it run its cycle. The reason anger and unforgiveness has made such a mess in some of our hearts is because we let it run the cycle. We didn't stop it. If only, Paul's going, just stop it today. Whenever it's today, stop it. If it doesn't run the cycle, you won't have such a mess. See how practical this is? See how different this is? You see how unlike our way this is? So on a personal level, what does it look like when the devil gets a foothold in our heart? When we get hurt, 
rightly so, we get, we get upset. But then instead of stopping it then, we say, all right, Satan, you can kind of just have your way with me. And he adds some jealousy and he adds some anger. And like I said, we talk to our friends and they kind of fuel the fire. He shouldn't have treated you like that. And didn't, didn't he know what you're going through? I can't believe he did this on top of everything else. And then you start seeing their point of view and you, you're realizing what reasons you should be angry you hadn't thought of yet. And it gets worse. And then you start thinking, like I said, well, then I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And it gets ugly. On a church level, it becomes, man, I didn't get invited, or they said this, or I didn't get chosen for that. And so, you know, you know what? Forget them. And, and, and often people just leave. Sometimes they stay, but they make it real clear they don't want to see the person that they're in the argument with. They make it real clear. You know, it's kind of ironic. I think if we could have God's perspective on this, you got somebody over here, and they're worshiping, and they got their hands up, and somebody over here, and they're worshiping, and their hands are up, but those two would never shake hands. I just wonder what that's like from God's perspective. Can't serve on the same team together. Can't go to the same service. Thank God they do the six and the eight. I guess can't go on Mother's Day. They're only doing the eight, right? I can't be in the same room at the same time. Man, it slows us down, doesn't it? It slows the church down. It slows down what we could be accomplishing together. I think that price tag is too high. God's, God says, just don't get there. I've made this for you so it doesn't get to that place. John Wesley said this. Anger at sin is not evil. And this is difficult. But he says, but we should feel pity, only pity to the sinner. If we're angry at the person as well as the fault, we sin. And he says this a little strangely. He says, and how hardly do we avoid it? In other words, how do we avoid this? Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Reprove your brother, which means talk with your brother, correct your brother, talk about the offense, and be reconciled immediately. And look at the last line. Lose not one day. Lose not one day. I love that because you know what's so powerful? You and I, we've lost a lot of days, haven't we? We've lost the joy of a lot of days. We've lost the potential of a lot of days because we've been the prisoner, haven't we, when it comes to our anger and our unforgiveness. I love, he's saying, look, don't let it go beyond today. Don't lose a day till you reconcile. Don't lose a day until you work it out. Now, some of you guys might be sitting there going, Doug, again, I gotta say, it feels like you're telling me when to deal with it, not how to deal with it, Right? But I would say a big part of this has to do with when you deal with it. Because if you deal with it when it's today, it never becomes the unmanageable mess. So I think that's a big part of it. But let's go how for a minute here. In verse 32, he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So how do I forgive? Well, I think a huge part is when you forgive. That's going to cut it out, man. It's going to get rid of that anger quick, the unforgiveness quick. But how? How? I've been hurt. I've been broken. How do I do this? I think this verse points it all out. That we're to forgive each other just as Christ forgave us. And you know how Christ or God forgave us through Jesus Christ? You know how? He did it it by by really one one starting point that, that gave birth to everything else. You know what that starting point was? He made a choice. He chose one day. I mean, you think about that. I mean, that would be a cool day in history to see. The day when God decided, I'm going to redeem those people who are a complete mess. I'm going to cancel their debts. I'm going to forgive them. I wonder like how it rolled out. I wonder, you know, who heard first. I wonder what the conversation was like. I wonder what the angel said. Wait, you're going to do what? You're going to, but haven't you seen what they've done? I mean, and this plan was in, like we know in the Bible says, this plan was in motion before the creation of the world. But, but man, as it rolled out, I wonder how it rolled out. I wonder what the response was when it was unveiled that God would redeem us and it would cost Jesus 
his life. All because God made a choice. You know what? He could have made another choice. He could have said, I'm not going to do it. He could have said, price tag's too high. He could have said, those people don't deserve it. But instead, he made a choice. So you might be sitting here going, Doug, I can't just decide to deal with my anger today. Like you're telling me that Paul's going, okay, the way to deal with your anger is to deal with it today. I can't just decide that. I got to feel like the emotion of forgiveness if there is such a thing, don't I? I don't think so. I think about Jesus, right, before he's put on trial, before he's captured and he's in the garden and he's praying. And what's he saying? God, if there's any other way we could do this. He's sweating drops of blood because he's so broken and upset about what's about to happen to him. I got to tell you, I don't think Jesus was feeling the emotion of forgiveness if there is such a thing. I think he was making a choice and the choice was, God, I'll do what you say. Father, I'll do what you say. And I mean, the Bible tells us the only thing that put Jesus on that cross was himself, right? It was his love. It was his choice. It was his desire. And so for you and I, the same choice remains. Just like Jesus chose, just like God chose, you and I can choose. And you know what? We may have to choose again to do it tomorrow. And we may have to choose again and do it the next day, but as long as it's today, before the sun goes down, my heart's gotta be right. So it can't grow. So the unforgiveness can't fester, it can't simmer, it can't make things worse. I think the most hypocritical thing that the world has ever seen, and this is hard, guys, this is not like a pat me on the back kind of message tonight, I know that. But you know what? I think the most hypocritical thing the world could ever see is a bunch of Christians who so willingly say, yes, God, I'll accept your forgiveness and I want your forgiveness and then turn around and won't forgive those who've wronged us. I think that that is something that makes a lot of unbelievers say, I don't want anything to do with those people. Imagine if they saw us forgive like God's forgiven us. Imagine what could happen. Imagine how we could change the world if that's what our lives looked like. Lewis Smedes said something really powerful because some of you guys may be feeling like, wait, Doug, you tell me to sweep everything under the carpet. Look at what he says. When we forgive evil, we do not excuse it. We do not tolerate it. We do not smother it. We look the evil full in the face, call it what it is, let its horror shock and stun and enrage us, and only then do we forgive it. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us? He didn't just sweep it under the carpet. It cost him his life. It, it broke him. He became sin for you and I. He became a curse for you and I so you and I could be the righteousness of God. And so how can we, how can we accept that? I'm not saying it's easy, man, but how can we accept that and then look to someone who's wronged us and withhold forgiveness? I think what this passage is saying and what I hope you guys will live out, don't know it, but live out, that the best way to deal with your anger is to deal with it today. The best way to deal with your anger is to deal with it today. If you'll live that way for the rest of your life, you'll be a free person. I'm not saying you're not gonna get hurt. You will get hurt. We all know that. We're gonna get hurt. People are gonna hurt us we never thought would hurt us. We're gonna get hurt in ways we never imagined we'd get hurt. But if we'll live that out, we will live free lives. The power of that will cause us to live a life we never, ever could live without it.
And so it's a decision. It's a decision. Today, I choose, because it's today, I choose to cancel that person's debt. And you know what? You may have to get up tomorrow morning and choose again to cancel that person's debt. This may not be an ongoing choice, but guess what won't happen? The anger won't intensify. The jealousy and the, and the rage and the idea of retaliation won't intensify because you are shutting the door. Satan has no opportunity. You give him no foothold. Let me ask you a couple questions that are gonna make you a bit uncomfortable, but they're necessary and I think gonna help us know what to do next. Who did you go to bed mad at last night? If nothing changes, who will you go to bed mad at tonight? What anger and unforgiveness will you carry to sleep? And what anger and unforgiveness will you wake up with intensified? What if you chose the extraordinary route? What if you said, I'm not gonna hang on to that? You see, I think what we gotta do in response to this is a few things. I think first and foremost, every day while it's today, we gotta have our, our hearts right before God. It doesn't mean we don't get angry. We get angry sometimes, rightfully so sometimes. Jesus got angry and yet he was without sin, right? So there are times it's right to be angry, but we don't let our anger carry us to sin. We have our heart right with God before we go to bed. And you know what that means? I mean, sometimes the issue isn't resolved. Like I told you guys, Kelly and I argue sometimes. We have disagreements sometimes. We get angry sometimes. And, and by God's grace, in, in almost 13 years of marriage, we've never gone to bed angry. That's by God's grace. We, we promised each other that before we got married. And by his grace, we, we're, we're able to keep it. It's been real close sometimes, you know. But you know what? We always will say I love you pray together, kiss each other goodnight. And, and sometimes, though, we know the issue's not resolved. We're gonna have to figure this out tomorrow, but I love you. I said some stupid stuff, and I'm sorry, and I forgive you for the stupid stuff that you said. But we'll resolve this, but, but, but my heart's right, you know? And I love you, genuinely. And so some of you, that's what your story's gonna look like. Your heart's gonna be right. Maybe everything hasn't been figured out and resolved yet, but your heart can be right before God. And so having your heart right before God is huge. Every day, every day. God, I need grace, man. I'm angry today. Help me. I think the next thing we gotta do, and this is so hard and it can be so awkward, but it's so powerful, is to say, all right, I've gotta, I've gotta work this out with the person now. I gotta resolve this with the person now. That's awkward, I get it. That's hard. But the goal isn't to be awkward free. The goal is to do things Jesus' way. And this is the thing I think most of us are really, really bad at, if I'm honest, as Christians. I think we skirt around this issue. We kind of go, okay, well, I think my heart's right before God, so I don't have to have that conversation. But the Bible tells us over and over again that this matters. This conversation with God really, or the conversation with this person really matters. That we're to go and talk to someone that we are offended by. The Bible tells us if we're at the front of the church, ready to give an offering, and we remember that someone has an issue with us, that we should leave it and go deal with them and then come back. What does that mean? Before you do anything else, man, this takes priority. And so, yeah, an awkward conversation, yeah, but it's worth it. I, I met with somebody this week, and we talked through something that I hadn't realized was, was a little bit of an issue between us, and, and he kind of shared his heart, and, and I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I never, you know, meant to hurt you that way or, or to make you think that or and, and we had this great talk, and he texted me later and said, man, I'm so glad we talked. I just feel like the air is clear now. 
What if he hadn't done that? You know, what if he had just held on to that? Because men, freedom comes when you do things God's way. Freedom comes when you do approach the person. Now, some of you guys are saying, yeah, but you don't understand, Doug. I'm going to go talk to an ex-husband or wife, or I'm going to talk to a parent who has beaten me, or I'm going to talk to someone who will not want to reconcile. How does that work? I think it takes a lot of wisdom. And maybe for you, if you're going to put yourself in harm's way, the best idea is to have your heart right before God and then to allow him to lead the rest of that. And, and if the conversation happens someday, great. But you be right before God. And you, to the best of your ability, do the thing that God's word tells you to do. Because you can't go wrong. It doesn't mean everything's going to go perfect. They may spit in your face, so to speak. But if you have done what God's called you to do, then you're going to be free. You're going to find freedom. And you're going to find some healing. So that, you know, I, I can't say that there aren't any gray areas here. There may be some of you that just need to forgive and not even go back to that again. And that's okay if that's how God leads you and, and it's a safety issue or even just a, a mental safety issue or health issue. And so I hope tonight you guys are challenged. I, I know it's hard, man. I know it's not easy, but there's too much at stake. And just think about what could change. I mean, if you're a married couple here in the room, imagine if you had never gone to bed angry Imagine what your marriage could have looked like. Or maybe because you have never gone to bed angry, you have a really healthy marriage. Imagine friendships that were broken apart years ago. People you haven't talked to in years, literally just because there was some kind of falling out. You can hardly remember what it was about or who started it. But man, you've let the offense build and that relationship's broken. Imagine what our church could be like if we would be people who, man, when someone hurts my feelings, I just go talk to him about it. Say, man, I love you. I just got to tell you what you said or what you did, it hurt, but I'm ready to forgive you just like Christ forgave me. Imagine what, who wouldn't want to be in that church, man? So think about the power of this. Many years ago, some of you guys may remember that there was a woman on Long Island who was driving around Thanksgiving time and uh, all of a sudden, a frozen turkey came flying through her windshield. Some kids had thrown it. This is Victoria. Had thrown it. It broke her windshield, and then it smashed her in the face. 20-pound turkey. She woke up in the hospital three or four weeks later, having been in a coma, looked in the mirror, face smashed in, every bone in her face broken. She found out that the police had called the people that did it, and there was one kid in particular who actually threw it and faced 25 years in jail for what he did. And something in her wasn't okay with that. She began to say, I got to do something about this. I can't let this kid, he was just a young kid, you know, go to, go to jail for 25 years over this. So she began to meet with her lawyer and they got a case and, and they went to court and, and she was there to try to plea this kid's, you know, sentence down. Not that it had been given out yet, but even the potential for a sentence that long. And so she talked and, and then all of a sudden the kid broke down and talked and he started walking toward her and the police officers in the, in the courtroom started you know, chasing him down. They didn't know what he was going to do to her, but by the time he got there, he just collapsed in her arms and they wept together. And she just held him like a, a little child, she says. And she just kept saying, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. It turns out that she was able to reduce his sentence from 25 years to six months and five years probation and counseling. And you know what she said? She said, some people couldn't understand why I'd done this, but I felt God had given me a second chance and I wanted to pass it on. And you know what, guys? God hasn't given you a second chance. He's given you and I, hasn't he given us like a billion chances? Hasn't he forgiven us so many times it's ridiculous? I don't know about you, but man, throughout the course of my day, there are so many times, God, forgive me, man. I did it again. I said it again. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have responded that way. I did. God, forgive me. 
Imagine passing that on. Imagine the power of passing that on. Because I've been forgiven, that I can deal with my anger today. I can deal with my unforgiveness today. I can make the choice to cancel their debt today because of what's been done for me. I tell you guys, it would be so powerful. It's the life you want to live. It's the extraordinary way you want to handle yourself. Because the truth is, guys, that the best way to deal with your anger is to deal with it today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the example that you've given us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in our lives. And we just ask for your help, God. This is hard, man. This is deep. There's people in here who have been very wronged. Every one of us, probably honestly, has been wronged terribly in one way or another. And God, we just ask today that you give us the grace that we need to be able to forgive and to cancel the debts that we now hold. Realizing that, to be completely honest, it's kind of silly even for us to expect that someone's going to pay us back. How can they pay us back for what they did to us? They can't. They can't turn back the clock. They can't change time. They can't undo what they did. And so, God, we want to be free tonight. And so we just ask for your help and your enabling to do this. So if you're a follower of Jesus, let me ask you those questions again. Who did you go to bed mad at last night? And if nothing were to change tonight, who would you go to bed mad at tonight? You have the power, by God's grace, to choose to forgive. The Holy Spirit's in you. You're not the old you, you're the new you. And you may have to wake up tomorrow and choose to forgive that same person again, and it may be a while, but man, imagine if Satan no longer had a foothold. And imagine if, as you prayed, God began to heal you. And so I'd encourage you to think about those people right now. And the first step is, is your heart right with God. The second step is your heart right with those people. But that's, that's the second step, and you allow him to lead you in that. But today, today is the time, man. Today is the time to have your heart right before God. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you heard a lot about forgiveness tonight. You heard a lot about what Jesus did for you, how he died on the cross, how God sent him, how Jesus chose you, your brokenness. In the midst of your sin, in the midst of all that, he chose you, he wants you to the point where he was willing to give his life. And if you want to begin a relationship with him today, then I would encourage you to pray something like this. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I put my faith in you tonight. I pray you'll let me see how real you are, God, and that your forgiveness would change me and that it would enable me to forgive others. So I thank you for this gift of salvation and I pray you would help me to be like you as I forgive those who have wronged me. Amen.